Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to the Psalms. Uh, over the next few weeks at our evening service, we're going to be thinking about some different Psalms. Uh, we're also going to, going to be learning new versions of the Psalms that we're thinking about. I'm going to explain that a little later on in the service, but tonight we're looking at Psalm 148. Psalm 148, and it's page 526 of your Pew Bibles, page 526. Psalm 148, this is almost at the end of the Psalter, third to last Psalm, and it's page 526 of the Pew Bibles. We'll read the, the whole Psalm together, just 14 verses long, and this is God's word to us. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave it a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of, of all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for, for the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. Amen. And we thank God for this, his word. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 148. That's page 526 of the Pew Bibles. And let's pray together before we think about this psalm. Lord, we're so thankful for another opportunity to look at your word together, and we pray that you would help us to see who it is that we are worshipping tonight, who it is we come before, and we pray that we would understand this psalm, that we would apply its meaning deep into our hearts, and that you would help us to sing it after we've studied it together. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening we're back to the Psalms and we're beginning another short series based around Sovereign Grace Psalms. Uh, we had a similar series back in April. We studied and sang Psalms 62, 121 and 145. And over the next few weeks we're going to be doing the same thing. Uh, tonight we're thinking about Psalm 148 and then next week we're going to be thinking about Psalm 23. And next Sunday evening is our communion service and Psalm 23 is a really good psalm to think through uh, before approaching the Lord's table. The purpose of this series and the one not so long ago was that we would understand specific psalms in a deeper and richer way, but also that we would sing them. Uh, throughout the history of the church, and remember the church has been around for just over 2,000 years, throughout the history of the church, believers have sung the psalms together. 
So in our Presbyterian tradition, that has normally involved singing the psalms to metrical Scottish tunes. In Bestbrook, growing up, I sang a metrical psalm every Sunday as part of worship. Lots of you will be familiar with the metrical psalms as well. More recently, different worship groups have been producing songs for the church based on the psalms. Keith and Kristen Getty have been doing it. City of Light have done it as well. But Sovereign Grace Music have probably produced the most concentrated catalogue of songs based on the Psalms. Uh, Just to say, the the two albums from which we've picked up these new versions of the Psalms are called Unchanging God, Songs from the Book of Psalms. And there are two volumes, and you might want to listen to them over the next few weeks. But the main reason the Psalms have been sung and treasured by believers throughout church history is because of their pastoral nature. The Psalms are are probably the most pastorally helpful part of the Bible. I would be interested to do a little poll this evening and ask you all what your favorite Bible verse is. It would be fascinating to get all of your answers together and to see how many of you chose a verse from a psalm. We love the classics, 23, 46, 121, 139, but there are so many other hidden gems throughout this beautiful section of Scripture. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some neat little psalms, and that's the best description that I could come up with. Neat in that they're compact and tight, but they're going to be really helpful for us from a spiritual perspective. Um, I overuse this quote, but it's in part because I love it so much. Uh, Last Sunday evening, I was in Ballykeel and spoke from a psalm there as well, and I used this quote, but the psalms are the soul's medicine chest. You've heard me say it before, they're the soul's medicine chest. One of the things we did last week in Ballykeel was talk about why we love the Psalms. Uh, the service was more informal, more like a, a Bible study or a midweek. But the answers that came back from those who were there was that there's always something for you in the Psalms. If you're lonely, there's a word for you. If you're doubting, doubting your faith, struggling to cope with suffering, there's encouragement for you. If your heart is bursting with praise, there are plenty of Psalms that will help you to worship. And that's the type of psalm that we're going to look at tonight. Psalm 148 is a worship psalm. It's a psalm of praise. The uninspired title of the psalm, you should always remember that the section headings aren't inspired and weren't part of the original text of the Bible. They're just there to help you understand what's going on in the part that you're reading. The uninspired title of this psalm is Praise the Name of the Lord. And that's what Psalm 148 is going to encourage us to do. That's what we're going to do as we sing the new version of Psalm 148 together at the end of our service. Psalms 146 to 150 are the final act, the encore of the entire collection. The final five Psalms of the Psalter all begin and end with the same Hebrew words, Hallelujah. In English, you'll see that we translate it as Praise the Lord. Hallelujah in Hebrew is a plural imperative word. Now that sounds more complicated than it actually is. It just means something like, come on, all of you, all of you people, plural, I want you to praise the Lord, the covenant God, the God of the Bible. And that's what Psalm 148 calls us to do. It calls us to praise the God of the Bible, the God who has made everything. You might have thought in the reading earlier that this is a very simple psalm. It is very simple and straightforward. And so what we're going to do is keep our points simple and straightforward as well. In terms of helping our praise and worship of God, Psalm 148 gives us two things. First of all, it gives us a realistic view of creation. And then secondly, it gives us a proper sense of who God is. 
Let's think about the first thing Psalm 148 gives us, a realistic view of creation. And this point will be slightly longer than the second. This psalm falls into two unequal parts. In verses 1 to 6, there's a call to high things in creation to praise God. And then in verses 7 to 13, the appeal is made to lower earthly things to praise God. You could think of a choir on two levels, a great choir. The conductor looks up to the balcony and and motions to the high choir to praise. And then they turn their gaze to the lower level choir and call on them to praise. As the psalm begins, there's a call in several parts. And then the reason or motivation behind the call. So after the headline summary in verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. the, the, The call begins at the top with supernatural creatures. Then look at verse 2, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. The the, the angels in their vast heavenly hosts are are rational creatures. They're supernatural spirits, lower than God because they're not divine, but yet greater than humans. They can also decide whether or not to praise, and it seems that some rebelled. Jude 6 tells us that the devil and his evil spirits are fallen angels too. But after calling the heavenly beings to praise God, the the psalmist moves down to inanimate heavenly objects in verses 3 and 4. So the sun, the moon, and shining stars are to praise the Lord, and so are the highest heavens and the waters above the heavens. Now, in Bible terminology, the sky is like a ceiling above, which which are the containers for things like rain, hail, and snow. Uh, These are the waters above the skies. If you're taking notes and you want a cross-reference to look up when you get home, you should look up Job 38, 22 to 38. Job 38, 22 to 38. What, what, what the psalmist is saying in verses 1 to 4, that all of these things are to praise God. Now, one of our problems is that we over-exalt the power of unreachable things. Throughout history, humans have worshipped the sun, moon, and stars because of how they influence affairs on earth. Everyone who reads their horoscope every day signs up to that view. And that's a problem because verses 5 and 6 very much put things, the things we've mentioned, in their place. Verses 5 and 6 say, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. What we're told here is that God commanded and the things that are mentioned in verses 1 to 4 were created. We're also told that they'll never pass away. The heavenly bodies praise God by being what they are and doing what they do. So the sun praises God by shining, by remaining in its place in the solar system. The moon praises God by orbiting the earth in a regular manner. There's a sense in which just by being what they're meant to be, created things speak the praise of God. In their regularity, they speak of God's faithfulness. In their variety, they speak of his creativity. In their wonder, they speak of his beauty. Psalm 148 gives us a realistic view of creation. We should never worship the sun, the moon, the stars, spirits, spirits, angels, or saints. And we really shouldn't read the horoscopes either. So that's the choir in the balcony, as it were. The high things praising God. In verses 7 to 13, the psalmist moves on to the lower level choir. And this section is more varied, so just let me walk you through these verses. But verses 7 to 8 call wild things to praise God, deep sea creatures and wild weather phenomena. 
In verse 9, we move on to inanimate things, mountains and hills and trees. In, in verse 10, the psalmist speaks about wild animals and domestic farm animals, beasts and all livestock. The, the movement of the high choir was from higher to lower. We started with the heavenly beings and moved on to the sun and so on. In verses 7 to 13, the, the, the movement of the lower choir is from, from lower to higher. And in verses 11 and 12, we reach the climax. Human beings ought to praise God. Humanity is described first in terms of powerful people, kings and princes and rulers. Then it's described in terms of all people, young and old, men and women. All human beings, whether powerful or weak, young or old, male or female, all without exception, are called to praise God. The thing is, we're so hopelessly confused when it comes to what we're to worship. To keep going with the choir imagery, it's as though we, the humans, have turned away from our creator and conductor, God himself, and have started to praise other parts of the choir. On the 16th of April, 2019, a 16-year-old called Greta Thunberg addressed the European Parliament, and she said this, I want you to panic. I want you to act as if your house was on fire, because it is. Our civilization is so fragile, it's almost like a castle built in the sand, the facade is so beautiful, but the foundations are far from solid. We have been cutting so many corners. S since then, one of the, the, the dominant items in the, in the weekly news cycle is, is something relating to the climate crisis. Wildfires, hurricanes, floods, record temperatures, melting ice, and so on. We hear it all the time. There's no doubt that something is happening. The, the planet is warming. There's widespread deforestation. Plastic pollution is a huge problem. The quality of the earth's soil is deteriorating. But our culture is so obsessed with our changing climate, so much so that it's not too much of a stretch to say that people are worshipping the created order. And that's not what Psalm 148 tells us to do. The, the, the thing is, so much of the discussion around climate change is, is extraordinarily apocalyptic. Greta wants us to panic. She's sounding the earth's fire alarm because nothing less than a blaring siren will move us into the action necessary to prevent the pending disaster. But Psalm 148 is quite clear. Look at verses 5 and 6 and then verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. God is the one that we should praise. Creation, well, creation is creation. It was, it was made by him. And the future of our world is clear as well. The most important remaining date on the world's calendar and the last great job of the Lord Jesus is for him to return in power and glory. Now, that might happen before this sermon ends. It might happen next year. It might happen in a thousand years' time, so much so that the 2020s will end up being part of early church history. No one knows when Jesus return, will return, only his Father. And until he does, the, the world will carry on. God made a covenant with creation after the flood. It's recorded at the end of Genesis 8. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Life will carry on. Created things will speak the praise of God. In their regularity, they will speak of his faithfulness. In their variety, they will speak of his creativity. In their wonder, they will speak of his beauty. When Jesus returns, he, he won't be coming back to a world that has wasted away. 
He won't be coming back to an empty shell of what once was. People will be alive and will be waiting to welcome his arrival. As threatening as the climate crisis might be, human life on earth won't end before Jesus comes back. And God alone knows the timescales. We've got to think about these things, but we need a realistic view of creation too. Everything mentioned in Psalm 148 was created by God. What we've got to heed is the call to praise God. It's a call that's made to everyone, all human beings, whether weak or powerful, young or old, male or female, all without exception are called to praise God. So Psalm 148 gives us a realistic view of creation, but it also gives us a proper sense of who God is. Now that's the thing about this psalm. It's all about God. Let me talk you through it again, but let me come at it in a slightly different way. Just look at verse 1 and we'll sort of track our way down through it. At the beginning, the psalmist tells us that God is in control of cosmology, angels, stars, and the waters above the skies. We're told that God is over marine biology, great sea creatures, and all ocean depths. Meteorology is in the palm of his hand, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. He's in charge of geomorphology and dendrology, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars. He knows everything there is to know about zoology, wild animals, cattle, small creatures and flying birds. And to cap it off, he's, he's sovereign over political geography, soci- sociology and anthropology. Kings of the earth, all nations, princes and rulers, young people, old people and children. There are no unthumbed articles in God's encyclopedia. He knows all there is to know about everything. The purpose of this psalm is to drive home to the people of God how uniquely great he is. It's to give the people of God a proper sense of God. There's nobody and nothing in this entire cosmos that doesn't owe him worship. And yet we live as though we know best. We live as though we can exist without him We live as though we don't need to rely on him for everything in this life. One of the great problems in the church today is that we don't realize who God is. We have small views of God and large views of man. We struggle to have a sense of the majesty and greatness of God. Not not for us the traumatic vision of Isaiah, the throne high and lifted up. Not for us the prostration of John before the radiant glory of a face like the sun shining in his strength. Not for us the burning bush or the, the cloudy pillar not for, us the, not for us Job with his hands clasped to his mouth, speechless after daring to speak the name of God. God is our heavenly body, our divine butler, attending to all of our needs. He makes us feel warm and cozy, but he never makes us feel awe and wonder. He's large enough for our convenience, but small enough for our pockets. Only when we realize that the power and intelligence of God encompasses the entire universe that he holds the galaxies in the palm of his hands will we truly worship him there are no mysteries for him from the vast dimensions of the cosmos to the particle physics of the atom from the microbiology of the living cell to the psychology of the human brain he knows it all he is the uncontested sovereign of the universe and to praise him we need a proper sense of who he is That's all really helpful for us as a church family and as individuals. As a church family, we're about to start our week of prayer. This is who is going to listen to us. The one who knows everything. That should fill us with confidence. 
And it's really helpful for you if you're going through difficult times, through a, through a period of suffering. You, you might be finding it hard to praise God at the moment, but Psalm 148 reassures you because it tells you, reassures you, that he knows what he's doing. Psalm 148 calls us to praise the God of the Bible, the God who has made everything. It gives us a realistic view of creation and it gives us a proper sense of who God is. It's a pretty simple, straightforward psalm. And it also moves our thinking ahead to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Verses 1 to 13 fit together well and there's a nice flow to them. But then in verse 14, out of nowhere in the psalm, in this psalm about creation, we have a reference to the saints of God. Another translation has that as faithful servant. Now, where does this rabbit out of the hat come from? Well, the answer is the word horn. You'll see it in verse 14. He has raised up a horn for his people. Now, I don't know about you, but what do you think about when you hear the word horn? I think of two things. I think of a car horn and I think of an E-flat tenor horn. That's pretty specific. But when I was younger, I played the tenor horn in a silver band, and that's what comes into my head. What comes into your head when you hear the word horn? The, the, the language is, is foreign and unfamiliar to us. It's even a little bit weird. It sounds weird. But horn in biblical imagery symbolizes strength and power wielded by a ruler. It's used a lot in the Old Testament about God's anointed king, the Messiah who is to come. So a horn is mentioned in Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. In the New Testament, Zechariah makes a prophecy about the Messiah and he says that he will be a horn of salvation. What's with the horn? What does it mean? What, what the psalmist is doing is reminding us that God really values his people. He has raised them up through Jesus. The, the glory of the people of God doesn't come from themselves. It comes from the creator who's redeeming love provides for their honor so the psalm ends by praising god as creator but also as redeemer as the people of god we should see how right and good it is to praise him because not only has he made us in his mercy and kindness he has raised up a horn of salvation for us he has come down to earth in the person of his son and he has redeemed us from sin through, through his death on the cross. It, it's a different way of putting it, but tonight we should praise God for the horn of salvation. Don't know if you've ever thanked God in that way, using that language. I don't think I have. But we praise his name because he has made everything we see around us. He has made us. We have rebelled and sinned, but he has redeemed us. Oh, praise his name. Oh, praise his name. Let all his wondrous works declare his praise. Psalm 148 calls us to praise the God of the Bible, the God who has made everything, and the God who has redeemed us. It gives us a realistic view of creation, and it gives us a proper sense of who God is. But it's not a comfortable psalm. It's simple, it's straightforward, but it's not comfortable. It's not just a psalm about creation. It's about Jesus and the gospel. For those of us who know and love him, it calls us to take Jesus' gospel into a needy world. The, the most urgent need of the created, created order isn't creation care, even though that's important. The most urgent need of the created order is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the horn who will raise up a people for God. Well, what's so notable about the reports from our young people tonight is that they were talking about people, 
taking the gospel to people, boys and girls and men and women who have never heard, who are living in a totally different culture. They didn't go to talk about creation care or sustainable energy or anything like that. They went to talk about eternity. Jesus will return one day and as threatening as the climate crisis might be, human life on earth won't end before Jesus comes back. And people need him more than anything else. They need the horn of salvation more than anything else. Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you're one of those needy people. You're not trusting in Jesus and you have a deep sense of longing and dissatisfaction. Psalm 148 challenges you to trust in the horn of salvation. To you, that might be a funny way of saying you need to believe in Jesus. But that's what you need to do if you've never done it. Repentance comes before worship, remember. And once you've repented and trusted in Christ, you'll be able to sing, Oh, praise his name. Oh, praise his name. Let all his wondrous works praise his name. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this psalm and for all that it teaches us. We thank you that it gives us a realistic view of your creation. Help us never to fall into the trap of of worshipping created things, the created order, but help us to have a proper sense of who you are. You you are the God who who is reigning over all things. You hold the universe in the palm of your hand. Help us to see your greatness and your majesty and help us to to worship you. Help us to praise you. Help us to, to pour out our hearts in service of you. And we pray for those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus. We ask that you would speak to them and that you would help them to see that they need to trust in the horn of your salvation. Father, we thank you for this psalm. Help us to sing it together now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.